Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. Ace Podcast. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Gunna Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On today's program, we're talking The Last Jedi's big weekend, T-Mobile's TV aspirations, more on the Disney Fox deal, and can the PlayStation 4 have one last hurrah? All this and more as we once again delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the pop culture cosmos. And we're back with another episode of the pop culture cosmos show. My name is Gerald Lasford from pop culture cosmos and game source. We truly appreciate you being part of the show today. But we're here to talk some great pop culture stuff today. And who else is here with me but none other than the man, the myth, the legend behind Humanica Media is Josh Peterson. What's going on, my friend? Hey, hey, just another busy day of editing some podcasts. <laughs> More topic apocalypse, man. More topic apocalypse, indeed. And you want to check out all the great stuff that's going on Humanica Media by checking out their great YouTube Podbean and Apple Podcast locations. And just to tell you what, there's everything going on with the Super BS Gamescast, Inside Sports, Topic Ocalypse, What About This, and so much more. I think your, your hair is going to turn grayer than mine probably by the end of 2018. I'm just going to tell you with all the stuff that you're uh, taking care of out there with Humanica Media. If I have any left. <laughs> yes, if you have any left. It's going to be another great show indeed we have here for you today. We've got a lot of things going on. Jason Mummert from The Voice from The Underground is here, and he's going to be coming up real soon talking more on the Disney Fox Love Fest that went on last week. Of course, $52.4 billion. That'll make any love fest. Also, as well, we've got Tyler Baker coming up later on in the show with his thoughts and a recap of Week 15 in the NFL Plus, also as well, we're going to be talking some PlayStation, T-Mobile, and it's just another great jam-packed episode we've got for you today. Plus, on the back end, we've got a special extended version of the Cosmic Crossfire with director Rob McCallum sitting in talking a lot about everything going on in pop culture. But, Josh, it came out strong this weekend. The movie The Last Jedi obviously the latest installment in the star Wars series just exploded onto theaters this weekend, meeting a lot of fans expectations out there. Uh, obviously as far as analysts are concerned, I think it pretty much hit their number on the head. Unfortunately with you, with you and I, we kind of had a little bit more positive as far as thinking it might actually surpass the force awakens this weekend, but still 220 million at the domestic box office and over $450 million worldwide on his first weekend. Not too shabby being it's the uh, second largest domestic open of all time. Right. No, those are definitely good numbers. The thing too, you have to remember is that 
it also has the holiday season on its side. So a lot of people are, have that week off to, uh, you know, that week off of work and school and they're going to go see movies too. So I think that we're like next week, we'll probably, it'll probably have a pretty big week as well. But I know for our Friday show, the PCC multiverse, we're getting prepared with a big last Jedi spoiler cast with Josh, myself, Tyler Baker, also as well, director Rob McCallum and his best friend and one of the stars of the movie Nintendo Quest, Jay Bartlett, for a big, huge spoiler cast. And that's something to look forward to on the PCC Multiverse. But Josh, I'm going to give some general thoughts, non-spoilerish thoughts for you out there. So I don't know if you want to go la 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 la, turn that headphone off or, or how you want to go about it. But I'm going to give some general thoughts on it right now. Josh has turned off his headphone. He is actually going to be uh, not listening as I say this. So uh, if you have not watched The Last Jedi yet, I'm going to try and avoid any spoilers out there as best I can uh, with giving my general thoughts on the movie. And then, like I said, stay tuned for the Friday episode for a big spoiler cast. But The Last Jedi, overall, I thought it was a pretty good film. Not great as far as the whole juxtap it i probably put it into three separate departments first third second third and the final third first third i probably give a seven to it maybe an eight well let's give it an eight let's give it an eight i'll give it an eight on this far that first third it was pretty strong but nothing overwhelming uh, as far as the the way it set up everything and started to go about it and then uh, also the last chapter the the last third of the movie is some of the best in the star wars saga that i give a 10 to because it was just really that part was just uh, very very good in fact it probably it, it probably even supersedes the return of the jedi ending and also as well the empire strikes back ending as far as being a excellent excellent way to close out a movie that middle chapter however that was just filler it was very flat I uh, give it probably maybe a five or a six at best. So, you know, some of the parts were, were, were okay. And then some of the other parts were just a filler and unnecessary and just giving some things for the characters to do, certain characters to do. Almost took me out of the, the, the film entirely, but the last chapter definitely brought me back into the film. It definitely brought me back excited for seeing what's coming down the road really closed out strong i really think ryan johnson i know i've been saying ryan in the past weeks his name is spelled r-i-a-n thought it was ryan it's actually ryan sorry for those out there correction but for ryan johnson the fact that lucasfilm has so much faith in him now obviously is exemplified with the way that he went about taking care of the final chapter of this film plus also the different twists and turns that he provided within the context of the film itself were very interesting indeed and and definitely uh, got people thinking got me thinking as far as the future going forward for the series so definitely some some very solid work overall the the middle part though was really flat and, and if for the middle part had of the movie had really been a little even just a little bit stronger this would have been a a movie that would have held up against the empire strikes back and and the some of the other great films in the series overall but it is a little tiny bit above the force awakens because of its uneven nature but it's it's still a very very strong movie indeed because 
I first personally thought the Force Awakens was a rehash of the of a New Hope, which was good, which was solid, but it was it was nothing spectacular. I think this film took more chances, took more opportunities to to go ahead and and surprise audiences, and I think for the most part, a lot of these gambles paid off. But even what what it is, it's still a very good representation of the Star Wars saga. So I did share my general thoughts on The Last Jedi. I tried not to go into too much of a spoilerish realm. I know you and I, and also as well, Tyler Baker, Rob McCallum, and Jay Bartlett will all be sharing some detailed spoilerish thoughts on our spoiler cast coming up on the PCC Multiverse this Friday. So definitely looking forward to that. But Josh, any last thoughts on the huge opening for the last jedi and what it will continue to do going forward that you know it shows that people are still interested in the skywalker saga i I don't want to make any claims till i see the movie but the numbers look good and the reviews look good and i'm hearing fairly positive notes except from like the the snob film reviewers that i know or not reviewers but people just like to be different you know in their opinions of stuff but yeah, it's it's definitely it's it's good news, but I'm curious like cuz I'm hearing just from what I'm seeing I don't I don't even want to talk about it, but like it's I'm seeing hearing people say that they're worried about episode 9 now because this one was so good. So, we'll have to see what happens, but uh yeah, I definitely want to talk about this on on the next episode. Definitely will we'll go into heavy detail on it. But that's for Friday's show on the PCC Multiverse. But overall, if you have any thoughts, again, share it with us on Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanica Media, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter. So definitely would love to hear your thoughts on that as well. Well, like I said, it's going to be a great episode coming up next. I've got Jason Mummert from Voice from the Underground. He's going to stop by sharing his thoughts on Disney buying so many parts of Fox and what that means going forward. Also, as well, we've got Tyler Baker recapping the weekend here in the NFL. And Josh and I will be back talking some PlayStation and also some T-Mobile as well. But first, we've got his good friend, Mr. Chad and Hyper Schmidt. And this is About to Win. And this is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Waiting just to see the light. When did this become a fight? Struggle just to fill my lungs with air. Staring at the finish line, the darkness running out of time. I'll do what it takes to get you there. Cause now you can't 
Listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmos show and the PCC Multiverse. I see the potential for basically like another Netflix kind of paradigm shift where here comes this other major player. They have a ton of resources. Apple could change the way that entertainment is consumed. They say it's the only time this year that you'll have stars from each brand battling each other. And we know it's not going to be the case, but they like to say that and more power to them, I guess. Well, it's a big first step bringing all those superheroes together. There were definitely some parts of the movie that I that I really enjoyed. And then there were some parts that I thought just kind of fell short of expectation. Part of it has to be something to do with how it's being promoted. And this is a thing where audiences do not agree with critics. That's the Pop Culture Cosmos Show. And the PCC Multiverse. Every week on the Podcast Radio Network and Apple Podcasts. And over a dozen of your favorite streaming and podcasting options. And we're back with the show. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast once again. We have a special guest on today. We are just truly excited as as anybody who wishes to come on our program. We're just truly honored in, in having them do so. And we have got a tremendous guest who has their own outstanding podcast. We played their ad the other day in one of our podcasts. It is the voice from the underground. I voice. love that. I, yeah, that was just so cool. So it is Jason Mummert. I uh, just thank you so much for being part of the show today. But Jason, I hey, wanted no to get more info from you on your great show, which now appears on Spreaker, YouTube, and Apple Podcasts. Is is there any more outlets? I'm, yeah, I, we're that's pretty all much, I got so far. We're pretty much everywhere, to be honest with you. And I appreciate the nice intro, Gerald. I think that you've probably given us a little bit too much credit. But yeah, Voice from the Underground, uh, you, you can follow us on Twitter at VFU Podcast. But we are pretty much everywhere, I think, except Spotify. Spotify is the only one that we're not on at the moment. We're on Google Play, we're on iTunes, we're on Spreaker, we're on uh, iHeartRadio. So we're, we're getting the word out there as, uh, as quickly as we can. This is uh, we, we got eight episodes in the bag at the moment. Oh, that's awesome indeed. And again, it is such a pleasure having you on the show to talk Thank all you. things Thank you. pop culture. And just, as you know, there is so much going on right now, just floating around in the world of pop culture. It's There's a podcaster's dream. Exactly. Indeed. It's Last Jedi flying around, net neutrality being fought for. And wouldn't you know, the house the mouse built just happened to go ahead and buy some things from Fox. And I'll take some of that. 
I'll take some of that, and I'll take some of that. And here, here's $52.4 billion for you. How about that, Mr. Fox? So I ask yeah. you, Jason, there are some great components and some also some things that people are concerned about when it comes to this acquisition of a lot of the Fox media outlet assets. What of you, first off, is of a great joy that Disney now has when it bought off a lot of these Fox properties. Well, it's funny that you, you, you say you bring up Mickey. I think that the, the um, figuratively and literally Scrooge McDuck must be a real thing because that's just an, that's an insane amount of money when you think about it. I mean, that's more than the GDP of most of the countries in this world uh, that, uh, and, and, you know, with Disney, it seems to me that they they spent a lot of this uh, money, and I think especially to most of us out there who are comic fans and fans of uh, the, the the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that they did a lot of this just to acquire the X Men property. Um, but the the crazy thing is, is just everything else that they've got, and all of the questions that there are now as to what they're going to do with a lot of this stuff. Um, you know, X-Men's obviously exciting for, for most people. I will say that I am not a terribly huge fan of the idea of, of the X-Men coming into the MCU. And I know I'm in the very, very small minority here. Um, I, I don't have a problem with characters like Wolverine and possibly Cyclops Storm. Um, but just the idea of, of, of a mutant, as a former comic book reader and, and complete nerd my whole life, you know, the, the idea of a mutant for me was always just a little bit too much of a cop-out for Marvel where, you know, they were just basically able to come up with any character they wanted with any type of powers that they wanted at any time just by saying, oh, well, he's a mutant and this is what his power is. So, you know, I, for me, the creative license there isn't really too spectacular. Uh, but obviously, the you know, some of the core characters definitely, uh, I think, would have a great place in the MCU. The thing that I'm kind of thinking about, I guess, is is, is what they're going to do with a lot of these other properties. I mean, they're getting Avatar, which is massive. They're getting, I, I'm not really sure what's going on with The Simpsons. If I, I haven't seen anything concrete to say that The Simpsons was or was not in there. Did you see anything about that? Yes, The Simpsons are now part of the Disney franchise. In fact, uh, I saw lots of memes in regards to Homer Simpson choking out Mickey Mouse, similar <laughs> that he does to Bart, and Bart saying, welcome to the family, man. I want to ask you as well, when it comes to this merger, yeah, I mean, you could say yes, how much it took to Disney to want to bring back the X-Men and Fantastic Four back into Marvel, but you don't pay $52.4 billion just to get that in. I, I, I'm sure that was one of the inquiries, that, hey, do you, do you want to sell off your X-Men and, and Fantastic Four properties back to home to us? And they'll say, well, we're, we're looking to sell a lot more. You don't pay $52.4 billion just for those properties. So with the Simpsons and the Aliens and Planet of the Apes, Planet of the Apes as far as distribution rights there, Kung Fu Panda distribution rights as well, just so many other different things you know, that are in play here. Obviously, $52.4 billion, I keep coming down to that number because you don't just buy those properties and those characters just to get them back in the Marvel that much money. There has to be something a lot more that Disney plans to do in order to recoup and obviously gain a profit from this deal. 
Oh, well, there's no question about it. It's, I mean, a lot of this stuff is just going to make money on its own. I mean, if you put together an X-Men movie where they're going to go up to, you know, up to bat against the Avengers, you're going to make $2 billion on that movie without breaking a sweat. And then, you know, there's, especially it, once you figure that the Avengers movies make about a billion a piece anyway, you know, the, the amount of money that they make on these films is just absurd. Silver Surfer and the Fantastic Four. Now, from my understanding, is that particular piece is not completely done because, from what I understand, there is another hand in the cookie jar. I forget the name of the movie company. Uh, uh, yes, but- we did mention last week they do own a percentage of the rights to it, but it was distinctly mentioned in the press release by Disney, the Fantastic Four, about bringing them home to Marvel. So I believe that they have plans. I, I know Rob and I discussed it. The other individual company that's out there that owns a piece of that, they don't have distribution rights. So they can make Correct. all the Fantastic Four films that they want and Fantastic Four film projects that they would ever desire to do. But it would never see the light of day if Disney doesn't want them to. So it's uh, kind of a little bit of a hardball thing going on there. So yeah, it, I guess it depends if the Scrooge McDuck before or after he was visited by the three ghosts on Christmas night. So, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so um, eventually that other entity will probably have to fold and, and either sell off the rights to Disney or just cooperate in some form or fashion with whatever Disney wants to do because they'll never be able to use that property again in any form, which is, right. you know, obviously Disney has all the leg up on that point. So um with all that said and done and the dust settling and whatnot, you know, my friend director Rob McCallum and I discussed at length a time frame for when Disney could see true fruition for this thing to prosper out. And we've talked about a live streaming format for, for Disney because they've, they're obviously breaking away from Netflix to create their own live right. entity. But they purchased a, a even bigger percentage of Hulu. So they yeah, now 60%. own percent Yes, so now they now own a majority of Hulu, so they can actually start that streaming entity there. Do you think it's going to take 10, 20 years before we finally see the full fruits of the labor from this entire thing? Or, or do you think that at some point in time that the you know it's going to look like that maybe $52.4 billion was too much to spend? Well, $52.4 billion, you can always make an argument that that's too much to spend. I mean, that's that that's an amount of money that, I mean, you can't even fathom it. You know, you think about the fact that a billion seconds ago, it was, what, 1950-something? You know, that just puts context onto the, the number of billion. And they just paid 52 of those. So, you know, who knows? I, I do know that uh, Disney definitely didn't do this with the idea of getting all this money back over the course of, you know, 30, 40 years. I'm, I'm going to take a wild guess that Scrooge uh, wants to get all this money back as soon as possible. So I would, I would be in the camp that would say, hey, they're going to start putting these properties together. And I think Hulu is probably a big piece of it. You, you hit it right on the nose because they, they've already said they're coming out with their own streaming service. They now have all of Fox property as well as all of their own to put into this streaming service and take. Now, I, I, I do wonder what's going to happen with like Daredevil. I do wonder what's going to happen with the, the Defenders because of the Netflix uh, commitment there and whether or not they'll move from Netflix to Hulu or, or whether or not they'll just kind of fade away. Now, Defenders kind of was terrible. 
Iron Fist was kind of terrible, but the the rest of those series uh, have been relatively good. So I yes, do hope. And I know, that, I know, I know. Punisher just got a new lease of life for another season on season. Netflix. And and also, you have to keep in mind that uh, Fox has two and possibly three DC property. It has Gotham. Uh, right now, which is on Fox. So what is Disney going to do with Gotham? Are they just going to basically pull it over to the guillotine and say, here, take this, uh, Bruce Wayne? But they do have those few DC properties there. I'll tell you what, Gerald, I don't know what you think. If you were Warner Brothers, wouldn't you have just wanted to pull a coup here and just said, here, you know, we'll pay you $53 billion and take X-Men from Disney and basically say, here, we can't beat you with Justice League. We know that because Batman versus Superman was just so bad that nobody will go see it. So we're just going to take all of your properties from you. What? How crazy would that have been? That would have been pretty nice indeed. It would have been nice to hold the you know the X Men over the fire and say na 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 you know. But I don't think they had the cash on hand to do so. Uh, I think Disney is one of the few companies. I mean, look at the major entities that were negotiating with Fox on this. You had Comcast and negotiating with them. You also mm-hmm. had Sony. You also had Warner Brothers at a time was also negotiating as well. The two properties, I was kind of just sad not seeing them putting a, a you know their their foot into it was Apple and also as well Amazon because I think those two entities were the only two that really could outperform with Cashola right there and, and give them a higher bid than what Disney was offering. Yeah, Apple, I, I, they didn't even cross my mind. Amazon did cross my mind. They have, to be honest with you, I have Amazon Prime. So I guess I have that extra streaming service. I don't really do Amazon for the streaming service. I do it more for the free shipping on the items that I purchase from Amazon. But all of the content that I've seen on Amazon has been at least, let's say, not something that would pique my interest. I I can't say that I've ever watched a show on Amazon Prime. So I would think uh, that they would have been very eager to to pick up some content that, that folks would like to watch because maybe I'm just on the outside looking in, but I, nothing that Amazon has on their prime membership to me looks all that terribly appealing. I don't know about you. I, th- I feel somewhat the same way. Um, there's some good indie stuff. There's some, some smaller projects. I did watch the big sick on Amazon prime the other day, which was a solid movie. I'm not as high on it. It's other people. I know some, a lot of people putting in their top 10 of the year. I'm not as high in the film on, on that. There's also with Apple, Apple has just started buying some interest into some pilots for TV shows. So I know they're just starting to dip. Oh, the, okay. They're just starting to dip their toe in the water when it comes to television production and going forward. So I know that they're, they've talked about media services of their own. So that's why I thought it was, it was kind of surprising not to see their names more heavily involved with what was going on with these Sonys and like I said, Warner Brothers, Universals, the uh, Hollywood entities that we already know, it, it just seems like it was a, a given that they probably didn't have enough cash on hand to out-purchase what Disney wanted to do if Disney sets their mind to it. And there's really like only two entities in town at this point in time that can actually compete with what Disney's all about. So it, it's, it's very interesting. Yeah, they're the New York Yankees of, of media. Pretty much right now, yeah, unless Apple and Amazon say otherwise, because at like, like at this point, they're the only two, I think, other ball games in town that actually can compete dollar for dollar. Universal can put out a billion-dollar movie franchise, you know, successes from the Jurassic World sagas right. and, and things of that nature. 
But you know, it's just Amazon and Apple not being a major part of this bidding process was kind of surprising. I don't think they were going to be outbid on this. I think that they looked at this and they said, here, we're just going to go so far and astronomically beyond what anybody else will be able to offer you and just give Rupert Murdoch this payday that uh, God knows uh, he's going to probably put all of it into Fox News and just make the rest of the world an even crazier place than it already is. Uh, th this is just a situation where I think Disney decided, you know what, we're the big kid on the block. We already own pretty much everything. People don't even realize, you know, some people don't even realize that Disney owns like ESPN and ABC and, you know, and now they add all of this other content to it. They really own two of the four major networks, you know, because Fox, you know, for the last 30 years has been trying to get themselves to be that, that fourth network. And the Simpsons was a big part of that. I remember when I was a kid uh, growing up in Chicago, we had Fox WFLD channel 32 and they were, you know, a UHF station that kind of got, you know, crummier reception. And then over the years, they started to get better and better and better. And they made it to where they wanted to be. And now Disney's got basically half of, of, of your media. So, you know, people are worried about net neutrality, which, which I know is something you and I are both very, very concerned about. But now you've got, you, you do have a little bit of a fear here because Disney is, this is a monopoly now of sorts. I mean, there's a lot of good that comes with this. But, you know, there, there's also a lot that, you know, we may not be thinking about right now because we're so, we have such tunnel vision on Wolverine joining the Avengers that we may not be completely happy with everything when we look back on this five years from now. Well, Jason, it's just been great having you on here. But before you head on out, I want to ask you real quick, why is the voice from the underground, one of the leading podcasts out there today in all sorts of things that you guys cover and why people need to listen to it. Well, I appreciate that. We're just three guys, but both of my co-hosts are pretty amazing guys. And we have a fourth co-host that's going to be joining us soon. We talk a lot about race. We talk a lot about social issues. We talk a lot about current events. And really what, what we are there to do is to try to get a little bit of conversation about fun stuff like comic books and a little bit of conversation about sports, you know, that sort of thing. Things that, you know, make us smile, but also sort of get down to the nitty gritty issues. You know, the things that you see on the news that, that sort of make your stomach turn a little bit or, or you know, the, the, the fact that we have all these mass shootings in this country and the fact that we have, you know, a, a lot of divisiveness coming from, uh, in our opinion, the White House. But, you know, you have folks who, you know, if you go on Twitter and, you're, and, and you say something about you know, oh, I, I support this for Trump. Some people will paint you a racist. And, and on the other edge of the coin, if you say, you know, I, I, I don't like this about Trump, then people will go the other extreme and they'll say, well, you know what, then, then you're, you must be uh, un-American. You don't love this country. So, you know, the, the Colin Kaepernick thing being, being a great example of that, there, there's no discussion on things. And we want to be there to be a voice to basically add some reasonable discussion to listen to each other's points of views to sort of see through all of the murkiness in some of these situations and have people on who have can see things from a different context and try to generate conversation because all this infighting and outfighting and outgroup and in-group bias that's going on these days it, it can be you know Gerald it, it it drives you nuts you know even this net neutrality thing it became republican you know, Republicans want it uh, want it repealed, and Democrats are fighting for it. Even though I think that the numbers didn't support that, but that's what no, you see. The online. overwhelming majority of people were against it, both Republican and Democrat, because ultimately, if you read between the fine print, it means more money out of our pocketbooks. 
It does. And, and what people, I think, don't realize is that when you look at net neutrality, like let's take a, a company like Comcast and say Comcast, right now they can charge us to use their broadband, but they can't charge Facebook to feed into our broadband, so to speak. So as content producers like you and I, if they start telling us that we have to pay and we have to compete with Facebook, you and I are going to go away for good. You know, and that's a little bit troubling to me. Now, there's people who say who will take the the opposite argument and say that we're going to be better off. I guess we're not going to know for a long time, but I don't pretend to have all of the answers. But you know, that that's something that I think we're going to talk about uh, on this upcoming episode of of Voice from the Underground when we record tomorrow night. But you know, it's again, that's just one of the things that we that we try to do, just to sort of try to make the world a little bit of a, a, a less confusing place, but have some fun while we're at it. You can't afford to miss it. It is Voice from the Underground. And check out all their past episodes as well on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and so many other podcast outlets. But Jason, it's just been great having you on here talking a lot about the the mouse and and you know, buying the fox, so to speak, and all the great <laughs> things there, and also the things that concerned everybody as well. It's just been great hearing your thoughts on that, and my best to you and the voice from the underground, and hopefully thank you, thank uh, you. be able to get on there real soon as well. Hey, I appreciate it very much, Gerald. Thanks so much, and truly, it's been a great having you part of the pop culture cosmos. In the mood to listen to some geeky conversations? Feel like the internet isn't the best place for an in-depth, respectful exchange of ideas? Then head on down to the 42Cast. It's a weekly show that covers a new geeky topic in comics, TV, movies, literature, or video games every week. We can be informative. Back in my day, kids, Pluto was a planet, so it's gonna stay a planet. (laughs) Irreverent. You learn so much from the X-Men. I mean, really. That Wolverine is the most important character no matter what. Strange. It's like, you know, Grodd if he went into theology or something. Right? Or controversial. I believe and I will swear to my dying day that the Marvel Cinematic Universe began with Howard the Duck. Find us on Stitcher Radio, iTunes, 42cast.com, or ESOPodcast.com. It's the 42cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. And we're back with the program. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. Please make sure you subscribe to our channel, the Pop Culture Cosmos channel, right here on Apple Podcasts. Or you can check us out again on Player.fm, Overcast.fm, Tangentbound Network, Gunna Geek Network, ESO Network, and so many other great networks. Podchaser, you can check us out there as well. And but Josh, you've got also got a great thing going on on Podbean, YouTube, and Apple Podcasts with Humanica Media. So what's coming up this week for Humanica Media? All right. So this week we got a new two new topic eclipses. I'm trying to get all the, the back uh, catalog put up before the new year gets here. So you'll have a lot to look forward to between now and January 1st. And then uh, on Friday night, there will be a Christmas episode of the What About This podcast. Um, this is a Nice little bonus content we wanted to throw out there for you guys. And then also on Thursday, you'll get a brand new episode of Inside Sports. Well, that sounds great indeed. And again, I want to make sure everybody knows that we truly appreciate whoever took the time to vote in the 2017 Discover Pods Awards. Thank you, if especially if for those who went to the Society and Culture 
podcast category and gave us a vote. We truly appreciate you taking the time to do so. The award winners did come out this past weekend, and unfortunately, we were not the winners. I do want to give a special shout-out and a congratulations to This American Life, who was the winner for the Best Society and Culture podcast. Runner-up was Lore. So uh, congratulations to both those podcasts and also the best overall podcast was S-Town. So definitely some some great podcasts we were uh, included with. So we're truly honored to have been part of the top 140 podcasts that were mentioned above 4,000 that were entered. So we're truly honored and, and are very appreciative for being in that small elite club. So Josh, we, we didn't quite cut the mustard as far as being the winner this year, but but a certainly great honor for us indeed to be amongst that company with the Discover Pods Awards. And also thank the everyone with the Discover Pods Awards who voted and the, the panel that got together to vote on those those podcasts. Definitely, guys. Thank you for uh, voting and uh, even listening or even like giving us a chance to be considered for something like that. Like that was a that was a huge surprise to me. I don't know about you, Gerald, but that was definitely uh, it. It felt nice, you know, to know that we put all this work into the show and we actually have people out there who wanted it to win something. So, guys, definitely thank you for that. That means a lot. And uh, you know, hope maybe next year we'll get we'll get in there. But we're you know we're working on growing steadily and trying to uh, get more content out, get better content out, and hope who knows where we'll be you know next year or two years down the road. Indeed, and I'll tell you what, it was very nice, and I was very surprised and taken aback by the privilege of being honored and being amongst that company. So definitely was a, a great sign for us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos to be honored and amongst that company. And definitely points to some great things going forward. But right now we're talking some T-Mobile, my friend. T-Mobile made an acquisition recently, uh, like so many other companies are doing, especially Disney out there. They're uh, they're buying stuff, and T-Mobile, like really under the radar, this week purchased Layer Three TV, which is a paid subscription service that's over the internet, and they announced T-Mobile did that they are going to launch a TV service next year. So that I guess brings out the question, man. I'm telling you. With all this stuff going on, and, and we've talked before about Amazon and Apple and obviously Disney bringing us out its own service and then buying into Hulu even more and, and all this stuff going on with another TV service that's coming out very, very soon with T-Mobile. How is T-Mobile announcing their new TV streaming service change the landscape of internet television? So I guess I don't quite understand because I'm I was reading about and I don't is it a like a TV network like Directv or an AT and T Uverse or is it a it streaming was, service? I, I think it I think it's going to lean on more of the streaming service end of it because the company that they bought is more of a streaming type format. Okay, so the question now would be, what is it that they can offer people that hasn't already been offered? So. You know, Netflix has its own original content. Disney is about to destroy the streaming market with, you know, with all the Fox shows, all the Disney shows, all the Marvel stuff. I'm just having a hard time. Like T-Mobile is hardly even a relevant cell phone company. So I'm having a hard time knowing like what it is that they're going to be able to bring to the TV service that hasn't already been done before. And if so, 
what kind of market are they looking to capture? Because if you, you know, you go in certain parts of California are run by uh, Dish Network, others by DirecTV, then you have down in SoCal, you have the uh, U-verse and you have Verizon Fios, Comcast, uh, Time Warner, whatever you want to call it. So what is it that they are going to offer that would make somebody actually consider them for their own streaming services, their own TV services, their own internet services? That's really what I'm curious about. Same here, because in Las Vegas, uh, it's pretty much Cox Cable. DirecTV is dashed in there. Dish Network is a little bit dashed in there. But for the most part, it, we are pretty much controlled by Cox Cable at this point in time in this area. So definitely, what can T-Mobile bring to the landscape of television? I'm not entirely sure. This seems very, very unusual. And like you said, it should be based around the programming. If they're able to capture that programming, that's going to be great. But I don't see them acquiring enough assets outside of it or making enough licensing deals that's going to move the needle in their direction. It's going to have to be based on some really quality, independent, homemade programming that they're going to have to come up with. So definitely uh, that is very surprising that they are dipping their feet into the water. I know we've talked about it. I know Rob McCallum has talked about it at length that if Apple ever decides to dip really into the waters of television and creating its own network and type of programming, they are probably, to me, the only ones that can really match up with anything that Disney could come up with, even though it looks right now that Disney, with all the assets that it has, should be coming out on top five to 10 years down the line. What are your thoughts out there on T-Mobile having plans for its own television network in 2018? PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com, also as well, PopCultureCosmos, Humanity Media, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. Coming up next, it's Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pater podcast. He is stopping by to recap this weekend in the NFL. And this is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Get ready for Box Art, a gaming docuseries from Pyre Productions and Rob McCallum Films. If you love video games, chances are there's a box cover or cover image that you love and has stuck with you for decades. In our series, Box Art, we travel across North America to visit with the unknown illustrators and artists responsible for creating the most iconic gaming images of all time. What was once scheduled to be a 90-minute documentary is now a six-episode season packed with unbelievable tales that paint a picture of the gaming industry you've never imagined. Just one of the many pop culture projects from Rob McCallum, Empire Productions. That's right. You heard the whistle, and it's that time again. It's week 15 in the NFL, and I'll tell you what, it was just a great weekend indeed. Here to break it down with me is my good friend, Tyler Baker. What's going on, my friend? Hey, I'm doing good. I hope you are. Oh, yeah, great. It's Last Jedi weekend. I'll tell you what, yeah. it's opening it up to big numbers. Did you get a chance to see it? I did see it. I made it a point. I had a very busy uh, weekend, had a lot of work, but I made sure that I got up early Saturday and went and caught the matinee because I had to see it because I like I I had to avoid my social media because I don't want to know anything about it until I go see it. So I made it a priority to get to the theaters and check it out. Oh, that's awesome. But Hold your thoughts because Josh doesn't okay. want to hear them. You know, Josh uh, is like, la, 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 turning his uh, headphone off and off. 
Got but it. I'll tell you what, Friday show, the okay. PCC multiverse, we're doing a huge Last Jedi spoiler cast oh, cool. all over the show. Cool. But I'll tell you what, what a better way to go ahead and also celebrate that with your segment devoting part of it to The Last Jedi as well. I love it, and that'll give me an opportunity to go see it again, because I think when you watch a movie, uh, some of your impressions are determined by kind of your mood when you watch it or what's going on, and I worked really late Friday night and got up kind of early Saturday and watched it and was a little groggy watching it, so it'll give me an opportunity to go see it again with maybe a little bit of a clearer head. So yeah, I would love to do that. Awesome, indeed. Great to have you doing that as well. Just this even gets even better and better. So cannot wait till the Friday show, the PCC Multiverse, and yeah. check that out. But there was a lot of great things going on with the football wars. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> that in there, nice, including some great performances from the quarterback and running back position, but also as well some teams really making some strong statements mm -hmm. this weekend. Absolutely. Well, we talked about on your last show, the Eagles. Who are they without Carson Wentz? Well, you mentioned- Not too bad, it looks like, not, right? Not too bad. Now they were facing the Giants. So let's put it in perspective, because if you look at Nick Folds' numbers, 237, four touchdowns, those are really good numbers. But it was against the Giants. So I think Eagles fans still have to be a little concerned about their team, but the Eagles locked up a first-round bye. So they are the team to beat in the NFC right now. There is still that pretty tight race in the NFC South. You have two 10-win teams in the Saints and the Panthers and the Falcons with eight wins, and they play on Monday night. So there's still a lot to play for, but there were some really good games today. Today we saw the New England Patriots go into Pittsburgh and actually beat the Steelers. Uh, the Steelers kind of gave it away at the end. They were playing without Antonio Brown, who got hurt during the game. It looks like it could be serious. We don't know much about that right now, but what a great game. Exactly what you expected from two of the best teams in the AFC battling it out, and it came down to the last minute. It, it, was, it was such a great game. And then we saw the Rams absolutely go into Seattle and absolutely stomp the, the Seattle Seahawks. Now, that, that was make, surprising to me. That makes a statement. That makes a really big statement right there. This Rams team, they keep getting better <laughs> as the season goes on more time with Sean McVay more familiarity with each other they are a really good football team right now but it also tells me that the era of the Seattle Seahawks with the Super Bowl years and also the the Pete Carroll led strong defense and the the fear people would go into going into Seattle and that crowd and whatnot that kind of aura, I think, is fading, and they need to go ahead and start making some changes in the offseason to get them back strong once again. Well, they have been weak at the offensive line for years. I was really low on Russell Wilson at coming into this season because they didn't do – they actually got worse on the offensive line this offseason. So that's something they need to work on. As far as right now and what's going on with them, remember that they have some major starters on that defense that are not playing right now. So they're kind of at half strength. But, yeah, they are going to have to make changes or they are not going to be that team anymore. Overall, there were some great running back performances from mm -hmm. Kareem Hunt, Mark mm -hmm. Ingram, things. Yeah. You know. Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley also had a great performance as well. 
But mm-hmm. what other performances stuck out to you this weekend in the NFL? Minnesota really played strong as well. But what other performances stuck out to you as really being a key to a fantasy football championship? Ooh, well, <laughs> there are a couple of guys that just got hot. And you mentioned Kareem Hunt. And we've been on this show, and for weeks we've been saying, hey, Kansas City, if you don't give Kareem Hunt the ball, you're going to lose. And they started giving him the ball, and they're they're starting to win again. So I think they've been listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. I think Andy Reid has been tuning in because uh, they've obviously figured it out. There was a Teddy Bridgewater sighting today. Case Keenum, they uh, let him sit on the bench. The game was out of hand. You know, didn't see a lot there from him. I was just watching some of these games. Unfortunately, Green Bay is all but eliminated. Aaron Rodgers. You know, and watching that, it was kind of tough because you can tell that he hasn't played in a while and he was just rusty. He was missing throws. That was so disappointing for Packers fans and for that team because they had a shot at the playoffs. They had to win out. Aaron Rodgers comes back and I mean, the guy hasn't played football for a while. He's still maybe a little bit hurt. And even as good as Aaron Rodgers is, we didn't see the Aaron Rodgers that I think everybody wanted to see. But what we did see was Cam Newton show, hey, I'm a good quarterback too. He threw uh, for 242 and four touchdowns, also ran for 50-some yards. So they were just some really great games today, really kind of setting the playoff picture in both conferences. And there are still some good divisional games that we have left to cap out the season. Definitely indeed. And the place you want to go to for those last minute changes, if you still have a team involved in the fantasy football playoffs coming up this next weekend is the fantasy football Patriot podcast Facebook group because they will help you make the changes necessary to get your team over the hump and get your team that championship title that you're so desperately trying to get at this point in time of the season. If you have any questions about your lineups, it's do or die time, it's championship time. It's always good to get another opinion. So go to the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast Facebook group, ask your questions, take a screenshot of your team, and uh, we're all working together on that thing. I'm just so glad, Tyler, that you got a chance to break it down with me this week's action in the NFL. And I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on The Last Jedi coming up on the PCC Multiverse. That's why I made it a point to go see it when I did, because I kind of didn't have time, but I made time for it because I was avoiding my Facebook and and I wasn't, uh, I was avoiding some family members because I didn't want to talk about it. I hadn't seen it yet. So Josh, I understand. But yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about it on Friday. Awesome indeed. Once again, it is Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast recapping week 15 in the NFL. Tyler, as always, it's great to hear you on the show, and I look forward to hearing your thoughts on The Last Jedi and previewing Week 16 in the NFL on Friday. Can't wait, man. It's always a great time to be on your show. It's a great show, and I'm so glad to be a part of it. Absolutely, and you're always a part of the pop culture cosmos. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. 
Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. And we're back to close out the show. This is Gerald Glassford from the Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. As we close out this program, we, we want to say thank you first off to Jason Mummert from the Voice from the Underground podcast for, for spending some time with us today and sharing his thoughts on the Disney Fox deal. And also as well, Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pater podcast for recapping this weekend in the NFL. So Josh, there was a lot to chew on with the MPD numbers for November. The PlayStation 4 actually came out on top as the leading console for the entire month of November, which includes the Black Friday and initial holiday shopping season. And on top of that, the Xbox combination of the Xbox One X and the Xbox One S on a dollar amount also came out on top as a total entity. So I ask you, Josh, this leads me then to four different questions here, like a four-parter per se, A, B, C, and D. A, how did the PlayStation 4 do it? B, does this mean for Xbox that the Xbox One X really sold strong during the month of November? C, does this mean nobody really was interested anymore in the PlayStation Pro because it didn't come out on top as a total dollar amount entry? And D, what does this do for the Nintendo Switch? Because you and I both had the Nintendo Switch coming out on top this holiday season. Okay, you might have to repeat some of those. Uh, okay, the first question, like the PlayStation 4, they had, I know we, we talked about this, but they had some exclusives that weren't on the Xbox. Like a lot of the stuff you could buy, Wolfenstein 2 and uh, Evil Within 2, like a lot of the stuff that came out this year, it's across all platforms. And there's a lot of like Sony fanboys out there, but like I think a, something that really helped them a lot this year has been Horizon Zero Dawn. And that's a game that it not only sold well during release, it sold well. What were we saying? That was one of the big sellers during Black Friday was that was. Uh, yes, Wolfenstein and also as well Horizon Zero Dawn were very strong sellers for the Black Friday season. And obviously, as well, the, the PlayStation 4 going to 199 was a huge, huge win for PlayStation at this point in time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's a big game. And that's a game that I think, you know, a lot of people actually went out and bought consoles to play. So that it, it makes sense to me. Uh, as far as the Switch, I think during Black Friday, I think not having a lot of games on sale kind of killed them because all the stores wanted to sell all their stuff at full price. Like if they would have taken Legend of Zelda down to like 30 bucks, 40 bucks even, it would have sold a lot. Legend of Zelda, Super Mario, Skyrim is just ridiculous to have to pay $60 for that again when you can get on Xbox One with all the expansions for, you know, they had on sale for 25 bucks, I think. So yeah, I, th I think that kind of crippled them. So it Sony had a lot of good deals all year long, and that would probably be one of the re factors I would contribute to them doing so well. But when it comes to overall dollar-wise, the MPD said dollar-wise on consoles, the Xbox came out on top. 
And even though the PlayStation 4 outsold everyone else, that kind of tells me that the Xbox One S sold pretty good for it being on sale for $189. But the Xbox One X, people still had a great interest in for the units that were available. And that's what pushed it over the top because PlayStation Pros, nobody seemed to have any caring about it still being alive out there in the marketplace. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know, man. I mean, the PS4 Pro was maybe the cheaper alternative to the Xbox One X, but... People are buying the Xbox One X because when, you tell, when MPD tells you that overall dollar-wise that Xbox came on top, that tells me that enough Xbox One Xs are being sold to push them dollar-wise above everybody else. The Xbox One X really just came out on top as far as dollar-wise with the Xbox One S. PlayStation 4 by itself really sold strong. The PlayStation Pro was really almost pushed to the side because even though it is a cheaper alternative than the Xbox One X, people are really just, if they're going to go big uh, and they're going to go buy something that's really going to expound the game platform as far as their console is concerned, they went over to the Xbox One X and the PlayStation 4 Pro really didn't get much love from either Sony or the consumers this, this holiday season so far. But with Nintendo Switch, uh, you know, you you hit it right on the head. There was not really any reductions in price. And when their major competitors are reducing price on not only games, but the consoles itself by a dramatic amount in the, on a lot of different titles and on a lot of different occasions, that really weighted in favor of those less expensive platforms, correct? We don't have games on sale. You don't give people a reason to buy the console because yeah i I know a lot of people bought these consoles on black friday but still man like when you don't put the games out there you don't give people a reason because i go shopping on black friday for cheap games and if something has cheap games yeah i might consider buying a console but uh nintendo didn't really give people an incentive to to buy anything this holiday season except for the fact that the switch was at one time something scarce and now you can find it places but as far as the Xbox One X and the PS4 Pro go, I think this is a, one of those cases of people choosing quality over cost. And from what I understand, this, some of the first-party exclusives that Xbox has coming out in 2018 will, will make that investment worth their money. One last question before we head on out. The PlayStation 4 did come out on top overall and sales-wise in the NPD in the month of November. Is this the last hurrah? For the PlayStation 4? That's an interesting question too because I've been listening to a lot of podcasts where they've been talking about that and they're under the impression that it's going to be at least 2019 till we see something but they're good at stringing people along. You know they have a, a solid lineup of games that are supposed to be coming out this year and maybe a couple years beyond that but what are they bringing us that in the near future that is going to keep people in that? You know as far they got God of War, um, that that zombie game coming out and no one knows when death stranding is going to be released and they got a medieval remaster but it's not anything i don't think they're really pushing the envelope anymore in terms of um, graphics and visual design xbox is on top of it right now with the xbox one x we'll see if playstation has an answer to that or if they're just going to let the ps4 pro do what it may because even sony fanboys back when the pro came out even they thought that the the pro is a bad deal so it's the, the only thing sony has going for them right now are are these titles that they still don't give us release dates for 
Definitely. I think the future for PlayStation is kind of murky, so we're definitely going to have to play it by ear for 2018 going forward, at least until a PlayStation 5 is announced. I think 2018 is going to be an even stronger year for Nintendo. I think they're going to come back strong in 2018, and I think they're poised to dominate the market in 2018. Any last thoughts on the way out? I'm pretty stoked to see Star Wars, so I'm definitely looking forward to that spoiler cast. Definitely, indeed. That's coming up on our Friday show, so you can't miss it. That's the PCC Multiverse. We're going to have our thoughts on The Last Jedi and a lot more. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the pop culture cosmos. We thank you for listening, and here's hoping you have yourself. A great day. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. Tangentboundnetwork.com. Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos as a special treat. We're adding a bonus episode, which starts right now. So sit back and relax as you enjoy more awesome goodness from the Pop Culture Cosmos family. And stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back with another edition of the Cosmic Crossfire. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. And he is back again to be in the Cosmic Crossfire. He is the man, the myth, the legend behind RobMcCallumFilms.com. You want to check out all of his great work, including the upcoming documentaries from Kitty, he-Man and the Masters of the Universe, obviously the Power of Grayskull, of course, and also, you know, he's got a ton of other stuff on the way. Just got to keep up with him by going to robmccallumfilms.com. Rob, it's such a pleasure having you on the show today. What's going on, my friend? Well, a lot of winter is going on here in Canada. In this early edition of our uh, recording sessions, usually we record in the late hours of the night, at least where I live currently in Canada. But now this is the early morning session, and uh, you know, based on the intro there, uh, I'm tempted to change the title of this program to the Cosmic Crockpot. Exactly. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Uh, first, you were under the weather. Now I'm under the weather. So it's it's you it's know, going around. It's going around it, for sure. It's going around. Telecommuting that virus back and forth. Um, we're just did, that infectious. Yes, yes. But I, I did get a chance to see you with the family uh you know in in that beautiful christmas picture with santa but i gotta say you know after you know you had a chance to put your put your steps on there and and he has time with santa okay between you and i you actually sat on santa's lap too and, and wished for something didn't you absolutely and then santa sat on my lap and he wished for something too <laughs> Okay. He wished for a new hip after I sat on his lap. <laughs> probably, probably. You know, they can do that really easy these days if you got great health, health well, coverage. Well, North Pole's yeah. got some great magical coverage. 
Yes, yes, that it does, that it does. Well, again, we are here in the Cosmic Crossfire. I'll tell you what, Rob, we are talking a lot of great things in pop culture. So what, pray tell, is on your mind in the world of pop culture? Well, this was going to be the one week that I went out of my way not to include anything about DC Films and Warner Brothers. And then you suggested that we had to talk about the reorganization of the slate of films that DC is set to release. Well, yeah, you know, it just, it's out there. I mean, somebody was unhappy in Warner Brothers as far as the way Justice League is performing. Uh, it looks like it's probably going to plateau just short of $700 million overall worldwide, which is pretty disappointing when they had aspirations and hopes of, of being over a billion dollars. So some heads are rolling at Warner Brothers and DC Films. And because of that, they changed, uh, uh, you know, they announced going forward a, a slate which has some interesting names and some interesting names you know, taken off the list. Okay, well, let's go through the, the slate of uh, films that currently remain uh, committed to in the, in the DC architecture and their universe. And in that slate of films includes Aquaman, Shazam, Suicide Squad 2, The Batman, Justice League Dark, Batgirl, Green Lantern Corps, The Flash, Flashpoint, and, and Wonder Woman 2. I, th I don't think I missed anything that was still green light for go. Those are the ones that DC is still committing to at this point going forward. Who knows what can happen, though, of course. Um, the, the Batman, for example, might not cast the right actor for a long time, so that might get pushed. Justice League Dark might not have the appeal. That could get off the radar again. Batgirl with Joss Whedon and Joss Whedon's connection to Justice League. It might shift him off, bring somebody else on. It might leave the whole project up in the air. Green Lantern Corps has maybe a little bit of an uphill uh, climb as well with Ryan Reynolds' uh, murky history. I think the only ones that we know for sure of that list that are definitely going to happen are Aquaman and Wonder Woman 2, given their status. Wonder Woman 2, of course, huge hit for DC. Aquaman already in post-production with James Wan. I think Shazam is, is probably a, a guarantee out of all that. Because they've had some already some casting choices and things of that nature. Yeah, yeah. But all the other ones listed there are either just at the script stage or in the development part. Uh, so it's it, they're far from a guarantee, but they're at least announced with logo work uh, to go forward. Now, that said, you may be are thinking, well, there's a bunch of films I heard were coming out just by listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos or the Pop Culture Multiverse that weren't listed there. And some of the ones that I've got missing, Gerald, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is Cyborg, Justice League 2, Man of Steel 2, Nightwing, Gotham City Sirens, a Harley Joker team-up, a Harley solo film, a Joker solo film, which is tied to Scorsese, a Deathstroke solo film, and Black Adam that's supposed to star Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And that Joker was supposed to be uh, like a prequel, something going back in time, I believe, so if I remember correctly. I'm I'm not sure to be honest of of what the premise was. I think I think it was. I think it just it's set in a different time realm. I think it was just uh, going as far as being a prequel, uh, kind of, you know, precursor to what he was doing in in whatever the modern age of DC films was with Suicide Squad and whatnot. But yeah, that that's an interesting slate. Uh, because you and I have talked about pretty much over the course of 2017, all these proposed ideas, all these proposed films that were coming out, and a lot of them, because of the lack of success of films not named Wonder Woman in the DC Films universe, um, are suffering. And and I, I, I Aquaman, you could see Jason Momoa's uh, as far as his charisma and and you know 
I think a lot the studio really is still behind Aquaman 100%. Uh, you know, we've also talked about the success of Wonder Woman, and Wonder Woman 2 seems like a no-brainer. I'd like to see another Justice League, but after that, like you said, it's a mixed bag. Uh, and and with the Batman, who knows what goes on it because bad, you know, Ben Affleck is you know, most likely at this point and probably not going to stay within the Batman universe, which is kind of disappointing for me because I, I want to see a, a continuous uh, identity that I can relate to within this DC films universe. And it doesn't look like it's going to be the case, no matter what your, what your thoughts on his performance is. It's, it, it's still kind of uh, murky out there as far as for the rest of it. Uh, Green Lantern Corps, I agree with you because there still is that bad stigma from the original Green Lantern movie earlier this decade with Ryan Reynolds and trying to create something uh, pretty much entirely different is, is kind of, I don't know, kind of risky at this point. I, but you and I both have seen and went as far as Green Lantern being a major part of the DC film slate going forward, as far as being involved with that, because he's right there as you as the you know, with the DC films entrance as you, before the film comes up, he's right there. Uh, he, you know, the, the Green Lantern Corps were actually part of the one of the opening montages within the Justice League. So definitely, I, I think they want to commit to Justice League Corps. I just not sure if it's a great idea. Well, I uh, lots to unpack there. First, I think of the films that are that are missing stuff like Nightwing. We know they're casting Justice League Two. The status of that is a lot largely dependent on what happens with Justice League One. Perhaps Gotham City Sirens, Harley and Joker team up. Even though those are missing from the big announcements, I think those films in particular, same with Black Adam and The Rock, uh, featuring The Rock, are still on the slate. I think they're just a little bit further behind. Uh, on the focus for what Warner Brothers is going to come out. In the same way that Batgirl was included, I, I think you could make an argument that Nightwing should be in there too, but they don't want to have to announce 25 films when they can just announce the 10, that they definitely feel a little bit more confident. I mean, not only last week, we talked about Nightwing getting essentially an open casting call across the world uh, from its director. So I think that some of these films still have momentum, and just because they're missing, it doesn't mean that they're dead. It's just they might not be ready to be announced yet. Now, I mean, can something I, with the Black Adam. Can, I, can I ask you one thing? Were you pleasantly surprised about Justice League Dark still being thought of as far as a positive within a DC Films environment? I, I was pleasantly surprised that it remains still something that they want to go ahead with at some point in time. Uh, I, I guess my only questions with Justice League Dark is how the studio plans to explain what that is uh, opposed to Justice League Bright. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, they almost need a Justice League sequel to introduce the dark component of it in those characters for it to go off. Or they need that Batman character to assemble this uh, supernatural division of Justice League to, to kind of go forth. So it'll be interesting to see how they set up that platform for, for that film and those heroes uh, to exist. But I, I guess, you know, when you look at something like Justice League Dark going forward, but not something like... Uh, Man of Steel 2 being announced, it's like, wow, so they are still going with a group identity film versus a straight-up Superman film. What does that say about the characters that they're looking to explore? Now, with the Green Lantern Corps stuff, to, to kind of uh, talk about some of the stuff that you were thinking there, for me, that actually represents one of the brighter points in the films that are going forward, and I think it's it could be a smart move because like we saw 
with Guardians of the Galaxy, Thor Ragnarok, and even Winter Soldier, and the way that those superhero films dipped into other genres to find their identity. I think you could do the same with Green Lantern Corp and make it like a war movie where it's about a squad of Green Lanterns that are trying to get through this this really small part in this big cosmic war. And it's more about what's going on in that moment rather than this big colossal universe ending kind of villain. And then if you can get in touch with those characters, the philosophy of the core and the and how they're opposed to the yellow core, the black core, the red core, I think there could be a lot of uh, a lot of heart introduced into that and a lot of good character work that has nothing to do with Hal Jordan, what we saw. And it could really lay the groundwork for introducing either Guy Gardner uh, or uh, John Stewart for maybe a Justice League sequel. I hope so. Like I said, that's still after what was done before. It's kind of a tough sell to the audience. I mean, you know exactly before how well a Green Lantern movie performed when it was done. Uh, let's just say it wasn't done up to specs as far as you know. For it was Ryan Reynolds tried as a comedy. It it didn't really work as as a drama. It didn't really work as a superhero movie. It didn't really work on all accounts. So, at least taking that knowledge. They they will if they go to a Green Lantern Corps movie that uh, it will hopefully they can learn from those steps and and not try to follow in those same in that in that same pattern. Well, I mean uh, this this sounds maybe obvious, but I don't think that any smart filmmakers would want to repeat mistakes of their predecessors. You know, they're lucky that Green Lantern has such a a vast mythology to explore and that it's not just one hero in the way that Batman is one hero, but being a green lantern is actually being part of a, a, a group of heroes that spans the entire cosmos. And uh, it's great for DC to be able to draw upon that so that they have in the same way we talk about star Wars, wishing for other stories in other parts of the galaxy. instead of the, instead of the Skywalker story, the Green Lantern Corps has that ability to talk about things that are happening outside of the, the realm of Earth. So now, really Justice League 2 was not mentioned, correct? That's correct. It was not mentioned. That is kind of surprising to me, especially given the... Well, spoilers, sorry if you haven't seen already. The uh, end credits scene as far as the possible setup of a Hall of Doom as far as a uh, kind of a, a villain's uh, team-up as far as going against the Justice League that we already know. I don't really think it was that interesting of a post credit sequence, and I, I felt like it was the most obvious route for them to go with that kind of thing. Uh, for those of you out there that haven't seen Justice League, and judging by the box office, there's quite a few of you. Um, basically, there is a shot of Lex Luthor on the boat who, who's assembled. I think it's Deathstroke that's with him. And he said, you know, we should start our own league, which is pretty lame, if you ask me. Uh, it's certainly comic booky, but it's not kind of the tone of everything else that we've seen before it. And, and what, is it going to be a two-parter where they win the first movie and then the heroes come back and win the second movie? I don't know. I think it for in order for a Justice League sequel to happen, I think you're going to need to see some team-up movies, which DC did really well in, in on the comic book side through the 60s and 70s, where you had pairs of heroes teaming up, and that's a lot of the buzz around possibly the fate of the Cyborg movie, which was supposed to feature uh, the Flash as, as an integral component to it, whether it was a result of the events that happened in Flashpoint or whether it was leading up to Flashpoint. It was supposed to be like a Flash-Cyborg, almost buddy film, and you can see the character dynamics playing well off of that. Uh, some of that cyborg script may get 
pushed into Flashpoint or Flashpoint Part One and Part Two, so I can see how that would work on that side too. I I, I kind of had hope for Justice League as far as based off the interactions between the characters. Obviously, the movie itself was really uh, not very well structured, and obviously, it suffered from it. Uh, I'm just kind of disappointed that they've given up so easily because I think a Justice League Two at some point in time down the road would actually be that reaffirmation of the DC franchise. And I think if it was done better, that there was one cohesive direction because, you know, obviously there were so many problems and so many issues with it that I think it, it would probably be a lot better on the next time around. But unfortunately at this point in time, we're not going to be able to, uh, see it come to fruition. It's like you said, if there's going to be any team ups, it's going to be of a smaller nature. I just want to know what happens to that Russian family. That's the thing I care about the most. I mean, there's certainly enough screen time for them in Justice League that, I, that I'm dying to know what happens to them in the next film. Exactly. And it was just, uh, I don't know why that, that even took place. But then again, we could say the same thing about the, the waitress uh, in, in the New York, you know, in the Avengers, and then also the, uh, the young... No, 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 no. The waitress in the Avengers is Ultron. nothing compared. Ultron, you know, why focus your attention on those small? You know, that was the waitress are... in Avengers is nothing compared to the amount of screen time that that okay. family had in Justice League. They did quite have quite a bit. Yeah, that was a uh, retelling. because yeah, they, they did flashback <laughs> several times to him. Yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah, just so that Flash had something to do. Exactly. just so they could just so they could do that compared you know obviously his scene with pushing them in yeah. their truck while and so superman. basically they gave flash something to do to be hero which his actions were then undercut by superman showing up suddenly out of nowhere exactly totally undercutting his character and making him out to be a joke so to speak yeah lame super lame i guess the thing that i would say that you might see before a justice league 2 or another justice league film would likely be a team-up film between Green Lantern and Green Arrow, uh, especially with the racial climate that's going on in North America right now in current political views. In the 70s, it was the same kind of thing, and that string of uh, team-up appearances with Lantern and Arrow were were really cool. So um, with Green Arrow being popular on the small screen, who knows who makes a jump to the big screen in the same way that The Flash has, but it would be cool to see Green Arrow in that universe. And because they've established them on television, there is already... Uh, a kind of knowing of who he is and what he is. And maybe if we can bring some sensibilities to what Green Lantern could be, that would uh, that would be a good kind of team up to do. I was uh, agreeing with you on that. I just thought that ended on a good note. So I'm like, okay, that's you're on it, man. <laughs> Anything else you want to talk about in terms of the, the DC slate and what's coming, what's missing and where we might be going? No, actually, I, I just think it, it's pretty cut and dry for now. I, they're they're searching. It's just they're they're searching. And I and you and I have spoke of many times that they they're constantly trying to go ahead and compare themselves to Marvel, to Marvel, and and constantly trying to drive themselves towards Marvel instead of driving instead of forging their own path and being happy with what they're doing. They're always comparing themselves to Marvel. It's pretty obvious. And if they're not up to what Marvel's doing, they get really irritated and they make rational and sometimes irrational changes. They make very rash changes. And it's just, it's disappointing to see that they're, you know, we could be talking about here in six months to a year about another dramatic changes in the DC film slate. It wouldn't surprise me because 
As you and I have spoke of over the course of the year, nothing surprises us when it comes to DC films. Yeah, I, I do think that you will see Black Adam as well with The Rock. I'm guessing that uh, with an actor of his cachet, it's a matter of finding the schedule for him to shoot it and when that's going to happen and, and be released. But there is nobody that defines superhero better than The Rock these days. And to have a poster child that can handle the press like he can, criticisms and fun. I mean, the guy decided to start in Jumanji. And the, uh, the positive reviews of that are definitely flooding out. And it could be the Christmas film uh, aside from the obvious ones. And, and, that, and that, that's a credit to him because I, I'll be honest with you, the trailers came out and it looked like a joke. It, it really looked like a, a film that was not going to be something that was going to do very well at the box office. But it, it, you know, reviews come out very solid uh, and, and people are, are saying great things. I like the fact that, that they used uh, and utilized the Amazon Prime factor for early screenings with the and get uh, a lot of people involved and get some buzz on it and i do agree with you i think jumanji can do very well this this winter season yeah i agree i think it'll be interesting to see how those numbers fare especially and, in relation and to get him involved in the dc universe would be a very smart move i agree but it, jumanji is going to have to take on the biggest film of the year which is targeting over 400 million dollars i think it was 435 was the last estimate I saw for Star Wars The Last Jedi, which had its premiere, of course, and the the early reactions are in. There are a few reviews out there. I've avoided them all, of course. I don't want to see anything. I have a ticket for opening night. Um, if you're listening to this on Friday, that would have been yesterday. We're recording you know, Wednesday, just mere hours before the film comes out. We're going to keep this spoiler-free because we haven't seen it, so that's pretty easy to do. The, the thing I did want to talk about, of course, is the premiere of The Last Jedi. Uh, there was both the Hollywood and the UK premiere that have taken place. And specifically for the premiere in Hollywood, I thought it was interesting that they, they, had it, they, they spent six months readying the theater. Okay, so they spent six months installing a 70-foot by 30-foot high screen. Uh, it's a Dolby Vision high dynamic range projections, projection system and a full projection booth. It had 193 speakers for 40 channels uh, of Dolby Atmos immersive sound. Now, 40 channels, what does that mean? Well, if anybody out there is somewhat familiar with surround sound, the, the first kind of foray to surround sound was 5.1. When you listen to something in stereo, it's two channels, left and right. Surround sound is... Two left and right front speakers, two left and right back speakers, a center channel, and that point one is the subwoofer. So for the last Jedi premiere, they introduced 93 channels of audio for, for an Atmos, uh, uh, basically immersive sound, where that speaker is not just positioned in front and behind, but all around you, underneath you, above you, like a giant uh, array, uh, a spherical array that sound was going to hit you in every in every direction. And then that screen, of course, 2,100 square feet. It's pretty impressive, too. My problem... I'm jealous. I'm just sitting right now. I'm jealous. I know, but and this is my problem. I'm jealous because I will never see the film presented like that. I will never see it presented like that. I will only ever see a less uh, than equal presentation of that film. That's not fair. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That's my comment. I'll make feel? some calls. How about that? I'll make okay, some calls. Okay, make some calls. But it also reminds me of the days versus like, uh, you know, whether a, a theater was truly showing an IMAX film or an XD cinema film. Uh, and then two uh, digital 2K versus 4K. 
projections and surround sound versus Atmos, uh, you know, environments. Um, where, where is your dollar sitting? You know, what are you going to put your money down when it comes to a film like this? Uh, what, what's the takeaway from, from this big premiere six month installation plan? Do you think? Well, I'll tell you what, it, it was so spectacular. If you saw the photographs, I mean, they had the, you know, what the, the almost a scale, what the, you know, the, the at, at and whatnot, just my gosh, towering over the entire theater uh, and the crowd and whatnot. It was just, just awesome to see that they were going to such expense for this movie that they're putting everything behind it. It's, it's great when they support a film like that. Uh, all I can tell you is my experience when I, I in this in this days and age of 2017, um, watching films in a better experience. Like for instance, IMAX. I, I got to see Blade Runner 2049 in IMAX, and I'll tell you what, I don't regret it a bit paying the extra money because that was a beautiful movie that was enhanced even further with the IMAX and and uh, uh, in, in enhanced Dolby surround sound system. It was just so beautiful to to watch and and awesome to listen to definitely better than the regular movie experiences i have but it also reminds me of the first time i saw i've told you the story about predator 2 right i'm not sure if you have okay predator 2 was the first movie i actually heard that dolby pro logic actually came into existence as far as within theaters that i had heard i sat in the theater you know you, you're just hearing many years it was just left speaker right speaker and then dolby pro logic came out uh, in theaters, and it just revolutionized the way you could actually experience cinema. And I sat down with it with a friend, and I thought it was just awesome. And if you've ever seen Predator Two, no, it has no story really. It's just a Predator Two, you know. Going but it has Danny Glover. Yeah, has Danny Glover, and and uh, you know, obviously it was uh, what it is. But it's a very violent, loud action flick that was the almost the perfect movie to see in a new experience especially auditory and experiencing that i was just overwhelmed for like two hours i don't know how my friend just fell asleep in it but you know that i you know it's volume was 10 and you're hearing and experiencing all this new sounds like wow i can actually feel the bullets graze behind my head uh, it seems like seemingly you know i can actually hear the whizzing vibe just feel i just felt like i was immersed within the movie for the first time now your ears become trained after a while and you become used to that type of environment but it's always great when you go to a theater or you go to a movie experience and you actually get to experience something new and different and, and i'm hoping that one day these theaters that are charging so much to people out there will provide that experience that is beyond what they're doing today because i think the technology is there it's just applying it and then charging people responsibly and respectively for it well i i tell you when i i first checked out Dolby Atmos when part one of The Hobbit hit. There was one theater in Vegas that had it. It was at the Brendan uh, Theaters of the Palms. And I checked it out, and I, I had no idea what to expect other than a more immersive soundscape, which is a really hard thing to sell people on because you, you can say it's a bigger screen, it's you know a sharper image, but it's hard to really sell what the sound is. Now, this was one of the first films that they had done this with, and maybe this was a result of it, but I actually got nauseous at a point in, in The Hobbit because of the way that the soundscape was rolling. It had nothing to do with the visuals. It was a standard theatrical 4K projection screen. It wasn't IMAX. It wasn't 3D. 
but the way in which that it, it rotated, I think uh, they were going on the Griffins and or whatever and, and escaping. They were going through a tunnel, but there was lots of circular motion happening. And oh, I tell you, it wasn't in the barrels or anything like that when they were going no. down. The, okay, it was definitely a flying scene, or or the camera was going through the mountain or something like that. And it really churned my stomach, and I had to look away from the visuals just to eliminate one half of the AV experience to to get grounded. Now that was the only time that that happened, but it, it just shows how how powerful sound can be. I mean, uh, what I love the sound guy says, you know, without sound, it's just surveillance, and of course the the video guys say without. Uh, video it's just radio so there's this ongoing thing in the industry between you know which is more important of course it's it's the marriage of the two but I think that the thing you've really got to look at is if you're going to be spending a lot of money to go to the theaters and it is a lot of money these days especially if you're going with a family as Gerald and I know look up the stats of your local multiplex go on their website and see what they're showing the film in is it a regular screen is it a bigger screen what are the sound options because if you're going there and you're going to be forking over 20, 30, 40, 50 bucks, you know, add the drinks in and everything like that. You want to make sure that you're getting the best experience, I think. You don't want to save two or three dollars and be crammed into the small theater at the end on a screen that's, you know, not that much bigger than your television at home when you can spend maybe the three or four extra dollars for that one event movie and really experience something new. I mean, the whole idea of going to the theaters, theaters these days is to have that new experience. And to, to make it make it the event because home theaters are so good and, and filmmakers know that and the theater exhibitors know that so don't let them get away with you know cheapening you know the the experience that you're going to have I, I i can't agree with you more and, and you know people always talk about the rising price of theater costs and how it's so expensive to to go see a film i i I get you. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't agree with Josh and what he said over the past year in regards to it as well. But if you are going to make that investment, make sure it's a wise one and make sure it's something that you are truly, truly want to experience. Like, like you said, check out, is it, you know, what type of sound system is it driving? Because each theater has separate, you know, separate ones that actually have different audio experiences. Is it just going to be regular Dolby Pro Logic, or is it going to be something even more enhanced? Is it going to be visually something that's regular, or is it going to be something even more IMAX, IMAX 3D, what have you? Like, you know, it's just you have to make sure you're making a wise investment before you go out to the theaters these days. I know it sounds crazy. I know it's not like the old days where you could just go get in line and there you go. But you definitely, for the money, for the price that that it now costs. You definitely want to make sure you're making a good choice because it can pay off with a great experience. Speaking of good choices and paying off things with experience and looking for those, the things that are on our bucket list, the things we want to cross off, the choices we make and where we go in life. Patrick Stewart has piped up recently about an experience that he would like to have. Now, this echoes back to another topic that we had on the previous weeks of the Pop Culture Cosmos. And this is with Quentin Tarantino possibly coming in to direct a Star Trek film. Now, he's pushing for a hard R rating. Why Star Trek needs to be a hard R is, I don't know. It, it, I don't know why at this point, because Trek, Trek is great, great. When the writing is great, for me, it's not really a director's franchise. It doesn't mean it can't be visual. But Trek, for me, is all about when the, when the ideas are strong, when the exploration of those ideas is really strong. And I think that all happens on the page. I don't think directing... Uh, is going to elevate where it starts from the script in something like Trek. Star Wars, completely different. I can understand the fantasy elements where that's coming from. 
So again, like I've said before, I'm not sure how much Tarantino is going to bring in, in terms of directing to a film, and I'll be the first to, to, to be in line to see what he wants to do with it. But it really caught me off guard when I read earlier this week that Patrick Stewart is up for returning as Jean-Luc Picard in a Tarantino-directed Trek film. He says, one of my dreams is to work with Tarantino. I admire his work so much, and to be in a Tarantino film would give me so much satisfaction. So if he's going to direct something to do with Star Trek, and there was a possibility of dear old Jean-Luc showing up again and doing that for Mr. Tarantino, I would embrace it. So what do you think about that? I mean, how does this even work without some sort of awkward time travel conundrum, paradox, uh, blurring of continuity anyways? Well, the last time we did see Jean-Luc Picard on the TV screen, he was a very old individual indeed, even actually portraying someone older than than he is currently, if I remember correctly. All good, so, all good things, I believe, was the episode. Yeah, absolutely. So they would have to go back in time, I believe, in order to go ahead and create something cohesive enough. And obviously, that's something that's desirable enough for, for him to be effective. So I don't know. It, it And then, you know, possibility of dropping a couple expletives as well, as I guess, you know, because it's a Tarantino film. But this leads back to my question to you is, you know, you obviously sounded off as regards to your thoughts on Tarantino, which I, I share with you because I've seen the negative flack that Star Trek Discovery has had because of the fact it, it had episodes which had unnecessary expletives added to it just, just for the sake of expletives. So I don't like this. I appreciate uh, Tarantino. He is one of the greatest filmmakers of the past 25 years. No question about it. But to see it having to go this route just by adding maybe a little bit of gore, a little bit of language and things that, I don't know. If there could be a disconnect there that I think some fans may not be able to to relate with. I, I don't know. Do you think it's, it's something that's going to be portrayed well by by Tarantino or is there, there going to be constrictions that he will have to face because of the Star Trek universe that even he can't overcome to make it a successful movie? I think Tarantino immediately has to understand that Star Trek will always be bigger than he is and he's got to give into that. He's got to obey the franchise and serve the franchise first and foremost. This isn't going to be a Tarantino film. This is going to be a Star Trek film that happens to be directed by Tarantino if it goes forward. Now, adding Patrick Stewart into the mix as Picard makes me more interested in, in uh, what, what it could be. But you could sub out Tarantino for any director and say that Patrick Stewart might come back to play Jean-Luc Picard, and I would still be as interested. Now, if you know Patrick Stewart is saying he's only going to be in it because of Tarantino, then that might be you know the, the only way to kind of do that. But I don't know that the film is better because of Tarantino. I mean, he's a master director for sure. And I love and I love his work. The franchise will always be bigger than he is, and I'm not sure that he understands that yet. It's almost like uh, was it uh, Alejandro uh, Inuatu who directed Prisoner of Azkaban? Like, it's a great film. The visuals are fantastic, but at the end of the day, it's a Harry Potter film. It's not one of his films. It, it's not Itu Mama Tambien or anything he's directed since. It's a Harry Potter film. It will always be remembered as a Harry Potter film that he just happened to direct. And I think it's going to be the same with this. For it to work, it has to fit in the flavor of everything that is Trek overall and not everything the flavor is that is Tarantino. And if he can put aside those demands, then maybe it can be the greatest Trek film. 
I mean, because we've seen with the Star Trek reboot in 2009, when it's done real well, it, it performs very, it performs good. It performs very, very strong. It made, what, close to $500 million worldwide, but it has become one of the most rewatched movies on broadcast television that are out there. So I'm assuming on home video, it has done extremely well, you know, also. And in Star Trek Into Dark, Into Dark, Star Trek Into Darkness, say what you want. I enjoyed it. I thought it's almost as good as the first as the first reboot. Uh, people are all over the place on it, uh, but that did almost as well as the original Star Trek reboot, monetary wise. Now, the previous uh, entity before this Tarantino option, Star Trek um, Contact. Yeah, Star oh, Trek Contact. Star you Trek. Mean, Con uh... You mean Beyond the, the third uh, Star, one? The yeah, Star, Star Trek Beyond. Star Trek. Star Trek Beyond. Sorry, going back for the Star Trek contract. Star Trek Beyond. That obviously, despite you know decent reviews on it, and and a lot of the cast liking the direction that it went, unfortunately, it didn't click with audiences. Maybe I, I still think where it was placed, I think, was a bad time, but. That's that's just me. I think going back on it, I think they would have placed it somewhere else if I was Paramount. But I, I it obviously leads to something dramatically, ne you know, needing to be changed within the Star Trek universe in their mind. When I think it just takes a better film and a better placement of that film, so you could promote it properly. Because I don't think it was properly promoted uh, as well as the previous two films in the series. I think I think Star Trek Beyond was taken for granted. I think it was okay. Trek is back up and running in the theaters, and we're going to do the third film. Like. Slow down, guys. Do you realize that you're like doing a trilogy at this point or the third entry in the series? Like, what are your plans? How does this fit into the bigger picture? Are you trying to do 10 films? Are you trying to do four films, five films? Like, you look at the original cast, they did six. Generations was kind of a split between Kirk appearing in with the stuff with Picard. And then you had Next Generation doing what, five, I think? You had First Contact, you had Insurrection, you had Nemesis. Maybe it was just the three. Anyways, I'm I'm not a huge fan did, of the next gen did, movies. I think they did four. I have, I, yeah, we'll have to check. I'm not a huge fan of the next generation movies. That that's neither here nor there. Uh, but I do love Next Generation, the show, and I think that Paramount was a little bit high on themselves when they were trying to do this third Star Trek film. They needed something. They got Simon Pegg to come in and rewrite it. I thought that the the plot was more or less okay. I just think it got to the point where it wasn't bigger than anything they had ever done on TV because the writing was never bigger than it had been so far in the series. And the writing needs to be big for Trek to work. I just, thought it, I just thought it was and to put at the wrong place because you know it, there was the Bourne movie out and several other movies that came out in July at that period of time. And, and you cannot compete in that same series. It's just another movie. When it comes out and it's not an event, Star Trek fails. And that's the problem. Well, and in the fiftieth year of its, uh, you know, anniversary of its of its existence too, right? Exactly. And they should have taken that momentum and done something more with it, and maybe put it to a late to a holiday film, or either bumped it up maybe to a a, a March or a, or even a, a Memorial Day film. But by putting it where it was, it was destined to be mediocre, destined to be just another film. Because, like I said, the Bourne film came out just before it and, and there was other films that were came out in that month that were competing for the same space that were right there as far as notoriety is concerned and it, you, you have to bring a star trek out 
just like a Star Wars out. Make it an event. Make it something special. And if it just comes out just like another movie of the week, then people are just going to watch it and attend it like another movie of the week. Well, I, I do think it could be interesting if Paramount decides that they're going to do a next-gen movie kind of out of nowhere with Picard at the helm instead of another, here's Chris Pine, here's Patrick Stewart, two wacky guys from two different timelines team up if they don't do a team-up movie and they decide to put that cast on hold that they've done with Zachary Quinto and Chris Pine in order to take a chance at doing a next-gen movie that centers around Patrick Stewart, I think they could get away with it. I think there's enough of a fan base there. I think that the Tarantino angle, the Patrick Stewart angle, I think it could live without them having to do an origin story. Now, if they want to tie it into the existing cast, I think that's when it gets a little convoluted. But think about this where Star Trek Discovery is being set up and how that series is being played out and how that will continue to basically be a new story every season that exists within the timelines that have all been set, they could essentially do a next generation uh, movie that leads into a series that might not be the next gen cast, but plays off the events of that movie as a perfect lead in. Now, I want to ask you this. You're talking about not having them team up together. Do you think there's still plenty of life with this newer cast as far as the Chris Pines, Zachary Quinto, Zoe Saldana, and whatnot? I think there is. I think they're great. I, I think they're an awesome cast uh, that's assembled together. I think you've got a lot of A-list actors there that do a, a real credible job of uh, just the material that they need to be, uh, come up with for them just needs to be better. And I think there's a lot of life in them in their own films and I, I agree with you. If you put them together with a John Luke Picard or Star Trek Discovery or that type of deal, it does become convoluted. But do you think there's a lot of life for this current cast of, of characters within the Star Trek universe? It's not a question of the cast, and it's not a question of talent for anything that's happened on screen. You know, as much as I don't like Into Darkness, uh, it was executed well. The production looks great. The, the acting was more or less pretty good and on par with the first film. Like I said at the beginning of this, it's going to come down to the writing. Can they come up with a script that is good enough for their version of Trek, which is a little bit more action-centric than it is exploratory thoughts and feelings and emotions and moral conundrums? That's what why Star Trek has always worked in the past. That's why Next Generation took off and became you know a huge hit across seven seasons in prime time. That's how it was able to spawn into Voyager and Deep Space Nine and even you know really set the stage for Enterprise. It's because it's these moral conundrums. What are you going to do in these no-win scenarios? What is the identity of humanity? And so far, Star Trek Beyond being the most recent example with this new cast, it's all been about action and blowing things up. And, you know, can we get out of this alive? And can we save the thing before time runs out? Instead of what is the human thing to do? Speaking of reboots, there's been some very exciting information for some fan bases out there at the very least. This is something that... I've been privy to for the last couple months, uh, for uh, yeah, at least a couple months, eight weeks, ten weeks, that I knew this was going to happen. I just wasn't sure when it was going to be announced. And that's that She-Ra is being rebooted on Netflix, uh, and it has nothing to do with He-Man, which comes back to a discussion we had last week and online about should a She-Ra movie get pushed ahead of a He-Man movie? Now I'm going to read the uh, kind of press statement so everybody has an idea of what's going on. Noelle Stevenson will be the showrunner on this new Netflix DreamWorks show. 
And it's going to be the trailblazing girl power icon that originally debuted in 1985 to satisfy an overwhelming demand for a female lead fantasy series. With Stevenson's unique voice at the helm, fans are in store for an epic and timely tale that celebrates female friendship and empowerment led by a warrior princess tailor-made for today. What do you think about She-Ra's reboot coming on Netflix and it having seemingly nothing to do with He-Man and the Masters of the Universe? I like it, actually. I, I You talked about just previously with the Star Trek universe as far as mixing in too many things, it becomes convoluted. I kind of like hanging out on, on its own and trying to see if, if it will break out on its own because a lot of audiences that will watch it at first aren't familiar with the source material. So it, this could be something that might take off on its own, but you got to, you got to try, you got to see if that's the case. And if you want to be able to connect it with the He-Man universe, you can always do that at down the road at some point. But I, I definitely think that She-Ra on her, on her own could actually do something very, very good for numbers for Netflix. Well, it'd be interesting to see if they're actually allowed to bring He-Man into the mix because there are many rights issues, just like we talked many times with the Marvel universe and there could be an impending announcement any hour now if Marvel, uh, aka Disney, is able to acquire 21st Century Fox. So more on that as, as we hear it. But in the same way that those rights are tied up, and I'm sure you've heard the, the stories about the Fantastic Four rights even being further segmented outside of Fox now, He-Man's rights are vastly different in terms of ownership compared to She-Ra's rights. And as a guy who's made a documentary on He-Man and, of course, delving into She-Ra as, you know, a spinoff or an associated line, uh, it goes further than some people realize. And some of the legal lines that have been crossed and how the promotions have been kind of handled and stuff, it's actually quite litigious. And I don't know what I can actually say without stirring up a tornado. I don't want to pretend that I have that kind of power. So I'm just going to let to see what happens from a legal point on, on TV, what gets aired, what doesn't get aired, what gets shown, what gets broadcast. But I really like the idea of this. I love Netflix uh, animated series that they've done. Voltron was a great, great show. I'm only in season two. I know season three is out there now. If they take that same kind of quality and care with it and they push it forward, then I think this can stand on its own without having to identify it in the shadow of the, the masculine identity that He-Man would bring to the table. Hey, I want to ask you this on that. Um, going way back to 90s television as far as the Xena Hercules franchises. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of similarities there. Yes, they did intermix as far as occasionally uh, within their own shows and, and, and you know, I guess two-hour movies or whatnot. But for their own episodes, they kind of kept them apart. Sam Raimi tried to keep those entities apart for the most part. I thought it worked best when they were kept apart. And eventually, Xena outperformed Hercules as far as uh, the legendary journey, I believe. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. Hercules' legendary journey uh, with Kevin Sorbo was the first to the table. And they introduced Xena Warrior Princess through that series. But then Xena got her own show as well. And clearly, Lucy Lawless's career in that series took off and outlasted anything that Kevin Sorbo uh, was able to do and Sam Raimi was able to do with that. Of course, they had their their back and forth callouts in the same way that we see the CW doing with their DC uh, shows, but it was few and far between, and it was just for a constant cross promotion of the other. Or, so, or there was some sometimes. Let's say Bruce Campbell's character. He yeah, would, a or, Yeah, he would he would appear every now and then in each other's shows just because he yep. was Sam Raimi favorite. So 
Yeah, exactly. But yeah, you're you're a hundred percent right that Xena certainly has uh, uh, has had won that war in terms of popularity. And I think if you were to ask people, you know, what do you remember about either show or you know where would you know Lucy Lawless from? They would say Xena, and I don't. I, I would gauge that a lot of people don't remember the Hercules show near as much as they remember the Xena show. Exactly, and that's what I think could happen with the Shira franchise. If it could really do well on its own, but if you want to sprinkle in some elements of He-Man without having it bleed too much over into it, I guess that's okay. But I would just pretty much leave the She-Ra entity by itself because, like, it was hold to a whole new generation, and and a lot of people, the majority of those people that would watch it on Netflix, will be seeing it as a whole new thing and won't associate it with She-Ra's, you know, past and and past history. So. I definitely think this could be a great opportunity for Netflix to to create some original programming in light of the fact that they will probably be losing quite a bit of programming in the near future with Disney creating its own streaming service. Well, it's going to be really interesting to see what the the show feels like and how it how it flows and even who the villains might be because uh, you know, the evil horde were He-Man villains and the rights might say that you can't reference this. And that's just the way it's going to go. Like they may have to create a whole bunch of new villains, and they might not be able to say for the honor of Grayskull for when she transforms. There could be a bunch of new things in place, but that doesn't mean that this idea of this transforming, uh, super-powered individual with a group of uh, friends can't survive. You know, so I think it's going to be really interesting to see where where the lines are drawn and how it carves out its own identity. And uh, if, if it's a legal thing where they can't include a lot of He-Man references or any, then I think that'll be the ultimate test. And it'll be really interesting because DreamWorks has a lot of shows on Netflix to see how many seasons it can spawn and then how that trickles down to merchandising. Will they be able to launch a new line of toys for it? Will there be comic books? Will there be, uh, will it make it a leap to the, to the big screen? Who knows? I definitely would be excited to see a She-Ra on Netflix. I, Excited to see how well it turns out because I think it could be a positive step, especially coming off the bat, the bat with uh, Wonder Woman. They, people have seen how well a, a female superhero entity can do on the screen and that audiences are clamoring for that type, type of material. So definitely, I think a She-Ra could play off very well on Netflix and if done properly, could do Netflix very well going forward. Well, I mean... <laughs> I knew something like this was going to happen the second we had picture lock on Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, because the second we picture locked, all these He-Man commercials started hitting airwaves. The She-Ra show was, was a possibility. Now there's talk of the He-Man film coming out. So like the second we decide to stop, there's all this new news that starts to come and inform the franchise. And it's never a good time to stop making a documentary, but... That's that's what we have to do. We have to put an end to it. Sometimes we have to get it out there. Maybe that means there'll be a part two to to chronicle what happens from where we've where we leave off and, and how that goes forward. You never know. But speaking of documentaries, see that segue I just did. Uh, there is a new documentary that is set to hit, and I am not sure that they have that proper ending point for it or what it's going to focus on. And this is the documentary called Making Fun: The Story of Funko Pops. Have you seen the trailer yet, Gerald? I have seen it. Uh, very interesting. And uh, you knew it was going to happen. I think you mentioned it on social media that it was at some point it was going to be inevitable because of the fact of how popular 
these Funko Pops actually have become. Yeah, it's essentially the story of Funko Pops and the rise to toy dominance. Um, and like I said on social media, it was only a matter of time before somebody talked about this in a documentary form or pointed the spotlight to discover what that story was and share the origins and in where they're going. My concern is that it might be still too early to tell that story because I don't know that there's been anything uh, kind of concrete or definitive or ending or a time period that kind of encapsulates what that end of that story can be because these things continue to come out and it's only really been in the last year and a half that I think they've really taken mainstream audiences off by guard and it went from being like essentially a countertop impulse buy to an entire section or wall at conventions or in, or in different shops. So I'm not sure that that whole story is there and I'll be really curious to see what anchors the film and encapsulates that 90 minute experience that I should take away from this other than here's where the idea came from, here's how it became a smash hit, now we're doing everything. Like, what is the story? That's still something I don't know. All the trailers and marketing are, find out the story behind the thing that you have on your desk, but I want to know what the story actually is. And when I find that out, and I'll watch it, of course, because it's, you know, in my wheelhouse, that's when I'll be able to say this was a good film or this was the time to make the film or they should have held off. What were your thoughts based on watching the trailer? And like I say, it's... It- I, is it an authorized? Well, I'm assuming it's an unauthorized bot document. No, it's authorized. Right? It's authorized. It's, so that's, uh, that... Funko, put it this way, Funko is promoting it. So if they didn't make it, they are certainly happy to have its promotion, and they have the They're people blessing. that st- they, and they have the people that started it in the film. Okay, so that okay, that that's the case. Then you know, is, do you think it'll come off like a, a Funko commercial? I think any time that you. Uh, do a documentary or comment with media on existing IP, you have the risk of it being a commercial or at the very least promoting that thing in the same way that Nintendo quest, because that's, that's that commercial. Well, I'm just saying after watching it, that's what I got. Got that. It, it certainly made me think that I should like these more than I currently do, which my current uh, barometer on is I'm sick of them and I'm not going to buy any more because I have enough of them. Well, I can say this. I was at Hot Topic the other day picking up a, a, a you know item or two, whatnot, and I get in line, and it's a it's a nice long holiday line. And whether they're holiday gifts or gifts for just themselves, there were people buying you know quite a few Funko Pops still of of, of characters, not even. I, I guess I would say maybe cult popularity level or or off the beaten path popularity level that the normal general audience wouldn't be aware of or wouldn't wouldn't know really. And I see these characters in the Funko Pop and just realize that there's still a lot of room for Funko Pop can actually still create characters and still draw off of various things in pop culture. And people are still going to eat this up. I mean, we're still right. People thought that the Funko Pop deal was going to go down, that sliding is down, it was down, it's getting less popular. No, by all means, it's still going strong today. And there's still a lot of life left as far as the Funko Pop line is concerned. And I still people see people still buying this these Funko Pops at like $12, $12.50, $13 a pop. But that's just that's just more power for, for Funko Pop to to create, you know, to keep on doing what you're doing. And, but I did see the trailer and I just, that's the first thing I thought was just, 
man, it just seemed came off like it's almost like a, a, a Funko Pop a promotional thing, but I wasn't sure if it was actually 100% authorized or, or given a full blessing or not. Yeah, it's interesting because they certainly have uh, the depth of almost that Star Wars stickiness when it comes to some of the lesser-known characters in these franchises that are that are moving units. But I do think that it has almost reached a, a fever pitch, and the only thing that continues to get new momentum is when new licenses get acquired or they start doing the vehicles like the Landspeeder from Star Wars or the three packs that include, you know, two exclusive ones. Uh, I've, you know, as much as I like the Funko Pops that I have and I'm looking at Darkwing Duck launch pack and Scrooge McDuck right now, I'm honestly thinking about turning them into Christmas ornaments because they're the perfect size. You could put a little, you know, eye loop uh, screw into them and, and hang them on the tree. And I think that would actually be a really cool uh, ornament. Now Funko's going to steal that idea and, and make ornaments, which is basically just has a screw in them and you can hang them on the screen on the tree. Of course. Yeah. There you go, Funko. Steal my idea yet again. Uh, but I, I think the popularity will come down to how different are the sculpts, how many new licenses are acquired, because uh, they're going to run out of stuff eventually at some point because they have so many licenses already. So when will the Funko Pop bubble pop would be, I guess, the question that I I would, I would ask and maybe look to see if they thought about that in the documentary and how they plan to go forward. That they're going to have to come up with some idea down the line because, like you said, the licenses, major licenses, will stop, and you cannot. There, there are not enough original characters being created that can support the Funko Pop, you know, uh, juggernaut, uh, you know, for going forward for that much longer maybe another year two years whatnot but you, you know there is an end point because there's only so much pop culture to go around you know you would think that but now i'm thinking to myself you know maybe their overhead is super small and they've got a team of 10 people doing everything and that every star wars film alone if they can come up with 10 characters for the next star wars film if that pays for everything let alone the new avengers movie the new dc movie the new whatever movie then maybe their business model will survive forever and we just might see less and less releases. Hard to say, hard to say. But yes, take a look at Making Fun, the story of Funko Pops. If you're out there, I think you can just Google it and probably find the, the trailer. I believe it's on YouTube, like everything else seems to be that is video related. And that'll do it for another cosmic crockpot <laughs> discussion. Weigh in with your thoughts on the DC slate of films, The Last Jedi, technical uh, specifications for that premiere that will never be duplicated anywhere else. Patrick Stewart possibly teaming up with Tarantino for a Star Trek film, She-Ra's reboot, and of course, uh, making fun the story of Funko Pops. Some really great topics today. I, I'm, in fact, actually, I thought that the She-Ra, I knew you were going to be talking about that, even though you didn't give me a clue in ahead of time, because I just, I know I never how much, do. I never I, give you a clue. I know how much the He-Man universe uh, in, is endearing to you. Obviously, you know from your work on it, whatnot. But but knowing you beforehand, and it's it's good to see the She-Ra franchise being brought back, but being brought back for a good reason, and being brought back that with the possibility of it doing very well. And that 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 actually brings out a lot of a uh, uh, good feelings as far as it's concerned. Well, good Christmas feelings indeed. And Shira, of course, is supposed to hit in 2018 at some point too. So less than a year away from whenever that makes its debut. I would probably guess September to coincide with back to school stuff probably makes sense. Yeah. We'll, and you we'll know, TV trailer watching. soon. And TV watching does increase in the fall. I mean, you know, when ratings are, are, are the strongest. So that's probably what, what they have in mind. 
Yeah, and we that that also means if it comes out in the fall, like the other DreamWorks Netflix shows, we could get a Christmas special as well. So, who knows? That could be fun. That could be fun. Indeed, indeed. Yes, uh, yeah. She, <laughs> I don't even want to go with the Shira Christmas. There's there's a joke in there somewhere. There probably is. Oh, but you got to tell them what's going on next week in the Cosmic Crossfire. What's going on next week in the Cosmic Crossfire, Gerald? I don't know. There is actually another special guest that will be entering the Cosmic Crossfire. Uh-oh. Who's that? Uh, Do they have to tune in next week to find out, or are you going to tell them? Uh, I think you'll know him very well, actually. It is going to be Mr. Jay Bartlett, the star of your movie, Nintendo Quest. He doesn't like to be called star, but I just like to do it. Give him some props. Uh, he is what the probably the one of the biggest star star wars fans i know of he's probably one of the biggest star wars fans you know of as well he, like, he definitely likes some star wars that's for yeah. sure yes he does and he's going to be by in the cosmic crossfire crossfire next week talking about the last jedi and i do uh, you know, say if you want can't miss cannot miss discussions between these two talking star wars with Rob McCallum going out of his way just to antagonize Jay. No, 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 no. We just happen to disagree a lot on the quality points of any and all forms of media. What if we agree on everything, Gerald? What if we just think it's that The Last Jedi is the greatest thing? But you guys never seem to agree on anything when you're on the show. Okay, well, it's, you know, you're, you're the host of the pop culture cosmos and in the multiverse. You better have a contingency plan to uh, figure something out if Jay and I just happen to agree on everything. Well, but that would be boring. And I don't think you two, one, one thing I know since I've ever met both you two and, and been uh, around you two and, and seen all the great work that you've done is you two don't like boring very much. <laughs> so uh, is that going to be the, uh, the, the, the makeup of the next episode of pop culture, uh, the, the, the cosmic crossfire? It's, it's going to be a whole episode, a whole segment of the last Jedi. No, if you can think of some other good things, obviously. Well, if we're, we're going to have a guest, we might as well make it worthwhile. I'm sure we can churn out 40, to, 40 minutes to an hour of Last Jedi Talk, whether you get the extended version on iTunes or you just get the, the segments that make it to air. Exactly. So I think we can do something good. But yes, just being there to, to be in the middle of a wonderful discussion between Rob McCallum and Jay Bartlett, who, by the way, again, you got to check out their movie, Nintendo Quest. Uh, Get it today, robmccallumfilms.com. Also as well, Nintendo Quest Power Tour. It, it, believe me, it's worth it. Just to see the back, banter back and forth between <laughs> I will. I won't even talk to him about it in, until the show then, okay? Well, are, you seeing it, are you seeing it with him? Because I know no, he's saying no. Okay. He's okay. seeing it. I, I think he's seeing it Thursday night at 6, and I'm seeing Thursday night at 10, and then he's going again on Saturday. Okay. I think. But I, I, I won't talk to him about it until, until we're – Live on the PCC. All right, fair enough. Indeed. So, uh, does this mean you're going to like be the host in the middle between us, and you're going to throw things at us, and we're just going to see where it goes? Let's see where it goes. Indeed, let's let's see where the cosmic <laughs> crossfire takes us. And, and I, I feel I just, like I, you're trying to just like stir the pot by like bringing a, a antagonizing forces into the same ring and like locking the door. But you two are longtime friends, you, you know, and, and you two have that that banter between you two that that only longtime friends can have where where at the end of the day you two shake hands and, and give each other a big hug and, and there you go so uh 
uh, tell you what, it's just it's just awesome when every time I get you two together in a room to discuss anything pop culture, and I definitely am looking forward to it. And I think anybody out there listening should, should look forward to it as well. Well, uh, everybody will get to hear it on the Pop Culture Cosmos next week, which I'm sure will contain lots of spoilers. So brave the crowds and the multiplex and, you know, team up on some of that emergency, that, that vitamin C, that airborne, as you head into the theaters, make sure you don't get ill like Gerald this week or like myself last week. Stay strong, get going, get that immune system up, check out The Last Jedi, and then tune into the Pop Culture Cosmos to hear what Jay thinks, what I think, and how wrong he's going to be. <laughs> See, it starts already. starts already. Hey, I got my ticket already. I'm going Saturday, so definitely uh, I'm looking forward to it as well. And and uh, I hope you enjoy it, and I hope uh, – well, we know Jay enjoy, will enjoy it. And I think it has the Star Wars look <laughs> on it. So. Jay's already decided he's in, he's going to enjoy it, which is yeah. problem number one with what I think. <laughs> I mean, just has there anything in the Star Wars universe Jay hasn't liked? He likes it all. Yeah, so th there you go. But we'll, we'll talk more about it on next week's show. So we truly appreciate everyone being part and listening in on what Rob and I had discussions today. If you have a chance and you want to talk uh, or actually throw us a topic that we would like to talk about on the Cosmic Crossfire or that you'd like to hear, share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com or give us a shout out on Facebook, Rob McCallum Films, Pop Culture Cosmos, Game Source, or Humanica Media on Facebook and Twitter as well. And we'll definitely uh, uh, be able to correlate that stuff on the air and on the next Cosmic cro Crossfire. So Rob, as always, always uh, great to have you on the Cosmic Crossfire and just truly hope uh, all the best and hope you enjoy The Last Jedi. Thanks.